Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Last month, we started making a big push to come together on Sunday night to pray together. Um, tonight, tonight is that night again. I want the church to show up from 6.30 to 7.30. We'll have an intense hour of prayer together. We've got child care provided for. So if you've got littles and you're like, I don't know what to do, it's 6.30 to 7.30. We're trying to do it in a way that's somewhat family friendly. Um, and then uh, you don't have to worry about like what your kids are doing the whole time that we're praying together. They'll be well taken care of. We want you to come and we, we need to pray together um, into the future, but we want God's, we want um, an awareness of God's presence here and to, uh, where we're going. We want his vision. So I, Jim was, Jim came, Jim Thompson came last uh, month, and I asked him if he would just come up and share what's on his heart regarding prayer and our family here at Damascus Road. And then I asked him, as he feels led, if he would pray, um, if he would pray. And I'm not going to uh, try and narrow it any more than that. So, Jim, would you um, come up? Would you share what the experience was like and the importance of it and what your heart is around it? I'm going to stand right over here, Shannon. They fall down. I have something to grab. He asked me, by the way, if he should leave time for me to preach. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kidding, uh, mostly. I'm very happy to speak on prayer. I apologize. I'm such a wuss when it comes to Jesus. But you know what? Jesus has cried over me many, many times. I appreciate the pastor's heart and the elders of this church and wanting us to pray. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, and I just appreciate Shannon's past, past shepherd's heart. I feel like he truly has a shepherd's heart that wants the best for the flock and wants to guard it and observes what happens and cares that God's will be done here. And I appreciate the elders supporting him. And I've been involved in some of that before. There's a lot that goes on you don't see. There's a lot of burden. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of trying to figure things out. And so we need to pray for them. That's where we need to start. We need to pray for our leadership. I believe that something is quietly and gently happening in her body. I could kind of even sense a little bit this morning as Shannon was talking about the service. It was good to be here today. I just liked being in church today. I just liked the fact that we were carrying each other's burdens and that we prayed one for another and that we worshiped God and we sang about how good he is. I guess I just want to say that there isn't a person here, there isn't one person here of any age and any background that God doesn't know you very intimately. And I know that you're here and we tend to look on the outward appearance. The Bible says we do that. 
man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And I just feel like saying that God knows your heart today. Who knows what's in your heart? God knows what's in your heart. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you've experienced your entire life. He knows it right now. And he wants you to understand that when we're talking about prayer, we're not just talking about a program. I'm certainly not. We're actually talking about coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus. Jesus loves this little body. I know that because he loves everybody. But he loves us. Jesus loves us. And my desire and my prayer is that we understand that that's where it starts, that Jesus loves us. And he wants us to bring, to bring us to the place to where like the Shulamite woman who could say, I have found the one my heart loves. And with one look, he ravaged my heart. And I just pray in Jesus' name that there will be many people here who will have that experience as they come to Jesus, that they will find the one their heart loves. And I'm telling you, when it comes to gospel and experience it, when it comes to community and how that works, when it comes to mission, it's all going to flow right out of that. But the call that I believe is happening here in this little body, and I, I remember, Pastor, you need to preach. I'm going to let you preach. So I really believe he's saying, come and pray. I don't know where it happened and where it began, but there's something that's coming through our leadership that's saying, it's time for this body to begin to when the disciples walked with Jesus and they had walked with him for some time and they've lived with him and they've talked with him, I've often meditated, what was it like to walk with Jesus? I mean, you know, a day can be long. There's a lot of hours. There's a lot of things that happen in a day. What would it have been like to walk with Jesus? And they saw him do everything that he did. But the one thing they asked them to do is they said, don't teach us to teach or don't teach us to preach. They didn't ask that. Maybe they did. It's not recorded. But they said, would you teach us to pray? And he began, our Father. You know, we could literally speak 20 times on those two words. There is so much need to understand what it is to have a Father like you have got that we sang about this morning. And it's so wonderful to understand that we come together tonight. It's not just this Father, but it's our Father. <laughs> We're coming together as kids together to our Father. We belong to him, but we belong to each other. It's our Father. This is a family meeting. We're coming together. We're going to share our hearts. We're going to talk to him. We're going to get to know him better. And you know what? Just my heart. I kind of don't want to know anybody 
unless I know I'm in that our father thing, unless it's somebody God wants me to know, which makes it kind of that too. Let's just do something a little here. It'll take 90 seconds. I even brought up my little thing here because I couldn't find my watch this morning. 90 seconds and then I'm done. Maybe a little longer. <laughs> so, <coughs> 30 seconds. I want you just to do a little thing with me about kind of what I've talked about. 30 seconds. And what I'd like you to do is just stay seated. Stay where you are. Open up the door to the temple in your heart. Go in there with Jesus. And for 30 seconds, I want to invite you. And you don't have to do it. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But I invite you to just let him love you just as you are. No talking, no thinking, no repenting. Really, I just want you to be loved just as you are. 30 seconds. Please do this. Second one, we're going to do three for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. While you're there in that temper in your heart with Jesus, I just want you to express to him, I am the one you are thinking of. I am the one you are thinking of. Start. one while you're in there with him and you're thinking of him as he's thinking of you I just want you to express to him what do you want of me Jesus period what do you want of me People begin to pray. And we just had a little 
few minute kind of thing about prayer because prayer is so much more than just petitions and intercession. It is that. It's very important, but it's so much more. And as we're talking about praying as a church, and if we really stay with it, because it'll be tested, our commitment will be tested, but as we stay with it, things will begin to happen. When Paul the Apostle, Saul at the time, was traveling on the Damascus Road, you've heard of that term before, he was suddenly struck by a blinding light and he fell from his horse. And he was on the way to persecute and kill the Christians in Damascus, Damascus Road, which is what he'd been doing back in Jerusalem. He was an ISIS guy, kind of. But when he fell off that horse and he was blinded, have you ever fallen off a horse? There's more involved than you might think. Something came from inside of him and he said, Lord. So we're going to start praying. Just like Paul was prayed for. How do I know? Because that first church did the words of Jesus. And some of the words he said was, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. He was being prayed for intensely. That experience on Damascus Road came from somewhere, generated through the prayers of the saints. And whatever experience happens here in the future is going to come from the prayers of the saints. And it's already begun. I've heard it. You know, I get up in the morning, my window's open, I listen to birds and the crickets, I have my time of prayer. But I've heard a little voice in this church. Let's start praying. Maybe you hear it too. Father, it's you that said, you dry up the green tree and you make the dry tree flourish. In Jesus' name, flourish this church. Amen. If you got a Bible, open up to Colossians. There's our transition. We're in a series on Colossians going uh, kind of verse by verse and section by section through the book. And part of the beauty and challenge in that is you get to, uh, you get to dive really deeply into one letter and you're not allowed to skip over stuff that could be uh, polarizing or could lead to conflict. You have to wade into that. And so that's, that's gonna, that could happen a little bit this morning. I'm going to preach on uh, a couple verses that lots of godly people who are smarter than I am and who are smarter than you are have kind of taken opposing views or like they've debated this um, for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And 
uh, there is a chance that I offend you today. Okay? Um, I may either say way too much or I may say not nearly enough. And um, some of that we're just going to let be. We're just going to let be. If I say something wrong or hurtful, let me know about that. If I step out of line and you feel me beating you up, let me know about that. But if, if God is doing something in our midst, we want to give him freedom to challenge. And we want to give him freedom to offend, right? If God offends, that's not a bad offense. So we want to let that be. We also just came out of a passage where Paul said, let the peace of Christ rule. And we're going to start back there. And so we say, in, at Damascus Road, that has to be our rule. Peace has to be our rule. Not division, not discord. That even in disagreement, if disagreement comes or when disagreement comes, we would fight to be together. That relationship is more important, is more important than the disagreements we have. And we honor each other and we respect each other and we love each other well. So if you have a Bible and you want to open up to Colossians 3... We're going to read in there. We're going to, um, the last few weeks, we've jumped off of Paul, starting in verse 11 of the third chapter, talking about this new community that he has, um, that he's seen created. We're going to start there in verse 11, and then we're going to, we're going to move forward. A little bit of review. So Colossians 3, 11, he says, in this new community that Jesus is making in our midst, he said, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So in that community, there were lots of differences. People came from all kinds of different backgrounds. People had all kinds of cultural growing ups and lessons learned and paradigms that they looked at life through. And Paul says, here, we're together in this. It's not that we become invisible or that we all become the same thing. We're united even in our, di- even in our, in our differences, right? Paul says here, what matters most is Jesus. We come around together around that. And so he says, he continues in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. And now we go on to verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to lean on you. Help us to learn from you. Help us to give ourselves more to you, to open up. And help us to enjoy, enjoy the new community the way that you weave us together. Would you let the peace of Christ be the rule? Would you let your word dwell in us richly? Would you 
Would you create in us a thanksgiving, a thankfulness that comes through in everything? Whatever we do or say, would you help us to do it um, as your representative, as if we're doing it to you and for you and with you? Father, as we dig into this, I pray that you'd give us humility. I pray that you would give us um, a tenacity to run after you and to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul has just come out of uh, explaining this new community that says we come from different backgrounds, we come from all kinds of places, but here we're one in Christ. And he says, I want peace to rule, I want the word to dwell, and whatever you do or say, he says, I want you to do it as a representative. And then kind of three times in those last three verses, he says, and be thankful, and be thankful. So thanksgiving and thankfulness kind of paints who we are as a community. And now... In, these next, in this next series, Paul says, and this new community starts at home. Because I think we have a tendency, we have a tendency to think about, uh, how do I follow Jesus? We don't think first about of, at home. We think how people see me, like in the public eye, and what that looks like, what people's reputation of me, and what they think of me and what others do and we I want to follow Jesus and I want to I want to shine bright for Jesus and Paul says before you go out and shine bright this stuff starts at home you can't follow Jesus out there if you're not following Jesus at home and so Paul has this conversation where he says I'm going to address the relationship uh, the relationship between a wife and a husband I'm going to address the relationship between children and their parents. And I'm going to uh, address the relationship between, uh, the ESV says, bondservants and masters. And so for the next three weeks, we're going, to, we're going to talk about, like, what is he actually saying here? What's going, what is this relationship? What did it look like in his day? What could that possibly mean for us today? So a couple, um, a couple things as we get going. If you're single, you might be sitting here like, oh great, another whole day of marriage where I get, I get to be focused on where like I'm not enough. And maybe one day, and I'll learn for one day, but like I'm going to chalk this up. I'm glad we had some good worship. Okay? And I, I want you to, we see you. Um, and I think even in that, like, these are good relational principles. And someday maybe, but it doesn't, you, you are wonderful the way you are in your singleness. Yes, Jeannie. Okay? You don't need a husband to be loved by God and to walk and follow him. Okay? You do that the way you are. If you enter into this marriage relationship, this is good advice. And if you enter into intense um, intimate relationships we had best follow uh, pay attention to what is being said here another another um, kind of caution is I want you to go like this a little bit and now like put the elbows to your side and have them if you're sitting next to a spouse especially this is an elbow free day okay so often when we talk about marriage we're like man I hope he hears that 
I hope, I hope she listens well today and we don't like jab, okay? So elbow-free safe zone, we are not the Holy Spirit, right? If God wants to talk to you, let him in. If your spouse is like, eh, like, <laughs> be patient. But like, let's not do that to each other, okay? I want you to listen. I want me to pay attention to me as a husband. I want you to pay attention as you are and not just think of the other. The other is, I, I want to say it. Um, if you're divorced, this is a no shame day. This is a no condemnation day. You don't have to fear walking out of here with your head down in shame like I got it wrong and well I guess that's it okay I, I want you to know that you are loved I want you to know that you're safe here and uh, you're okay okay so a few little disclaimers there the other now as we dive in is so we believe that God's word is our highest authority we want to follow God. He's given us his word to follow. We don't just conjure or make stuff up, and we don't dismiss this. We follow God's word. Uh, that is our ultimate, our highest authority in life. At the same time, we also recognize the Bible was written a long time ago, halfway around the world, in a very different time and a very different culture. And so it's, it's inappropriate for us to either look at the Bible and say, well, it says it, I'll do it, without paying attention to what, what was, who was Paul talking to and what was the culture of his day and what did it mean back then. And once I understand what was going on, then I can, I can more intelligently apply that to me today, right? It's also equally inappropriate to just say, I don't like that one. I'm not going to do it. Okay? And just to like disregard, to make culture our highest authority. And then to bend this around culture and to say, that doesn't fit where we live today. We don't have to follow that. Not true. Not true. We want to be intelligent. We want to understand the original intent. We want to understand the culture that it was written in. But we also believe that God's word is living and active. It pierces us today, right? And so we follow it, even, even when it's hard. Even when we might say, that is, that is not what I want to hear. So let's take a breath. And I want to I help you see a little bit of what was going on. Uh, not to say this is okay or this should be the norm, but Paul was talking to real people in a real culture. What was going on in Paul's day was up until that point, husbands uh, were the only legal person in a household. So wives and kids and slaves were all considered property. That's just what was, okay? We, we don't think like that today. It's a good thing we don't think like that today. But in Paul's day, he's saying, look, this, this is the setting. A, a husband, a husband ruled. And wives and kids and slaves obeyed. 
relentlessly. Like they just, that's what they just had. They just had to bend over. They just had to do whatever he said. Wives often lived in seclusion, especially in Greek society, which wasn't even uh, like the, the Hebrew um, culture. In Greek society, wives lived secluded. Wives would live in a woman's apartment. They wouldn't join the men of the family for meals. They just kind of lived separate. Wives were not allowed to go out in public alone. They couldn't go shopping just by themselves. They, couldn't, they didn't have any rights, and they couldn't go anywhere. A husband could go wherever he wanted, could do whatever he wanted, could start as many different relationships outside of the marriage as he wanted. No trouble. That's just how it was. And Paul is speaking into that. It's very different from where we live today, right? Very different. So when Paul starts and he says, he says, uh, what I'm going to do here is I'm not going to just put the responsibility on the wife only. The culture gave the husband all the privilege and the wife all the responsibility. And Paul says, you both are responsible. You both have responsibility. And if you hear him right, he puts more of it on the husband. He says, the way, the way you have been seeing life is wrong. For a husband to just think he could bark out orders and walk around and do whatever he wants, and all she has to do is obey and be a doormat is wrong. You both enter as equals. Going back to Colossians 3.11, here, it doesn't matter where we come from. In a very similar passage, Paul would even say, in Christ, there's no male or female distinction. That's to say, we're equal. We're in it together. Now, Colossians 3.11, we've said the last few weeks, that doesn't mean you're all the same, right? Like, there are Jews, and there are Greeks. There are circumcised, and there are uh, uncircumcised. There are barbarians, and Scythians, and slaves, and free. There are still distinctions. But, that, but there are distinctions and equality at the same time. And that's a hard thing for us to really get at, um, to really grapple with, to really understand. Uh, we have a hard time with that. And some of it's because we haven't done it well in the past. Paul conveys value on women and value on wives. And he raises them up as equal in the relationship. Paul gives everybody active responsibility. Emphasis is on the men. And he says marriage is to be a partnership. Marriage is to be a partnership. Now, we don't live in Paul's day, right? We don't live in Paul's day, and we ask, we ask the question, okay, so uh, we've evolved beyond that. What, what do we do with that? We don't live in that kind of brutal culture, so do we just chuck out the instruction because it's clear and obvious that we're equals? It's clear and obvious to us that we have equal value? I think it's, it's too simple to say we don't pay attention to cultural tones, but... But often I think we read the Bible with skeptical lenses on. Often we read the Bible and we want to say, how can I say, nah, that doesn't apply? How can I say, nope, not today? 
And I want to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible to say, God, what are you saying in this? What do we, what do, we do with it today? I want to be very, very, very careful about dismissing stuff. I don't think that's appropriate. So how do we pay attention to culture while holding the Bible as our uh, highest authority? So what we first, we recognize what Paul's doing here is massive. He's not going along with a repressive culture. He's forcing us to redefine our relationships in light of the new community that we're in. Paul's saying this stuff gets lived out first at home. So we have work to do. In order to make Colossians 3, 18 and 19, husbands and wives work, I think it requires us to be vulnerable. I think it requires us to not have it all together, to not stand up strong and like to, to have defenses on high. Without, without vulnerability, we isolate. Marriage is not uh, a relationship of isolation. That's not how God made it. God made marriage to be a, marriage, uh, a relationship of vulnerability, uh, a relationship of intimacy, a relationship where we lean in together. We say this is, this is not going to push us apart. In our day, consumerism rules, right? In our day, instead of the peace of Christ ruling, is what have you done for me lately is the rule. What do I get out of this? And we've taken that into marriage, I think. So it happened like 10 years ago or so um, where marriage vows started changing. You know, the traditional marriage vows that have said, you know, for better or worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. That's covenantal language. That's saying, I, will, I am not stepping out of this. I'm stepping in. This is about what I can give to you, how I can be faithful to you. It has shifted to where more and more people are choosing alternative vows that say, for as long as our love shall last. And I'm not going to say it's not meaningful to them. And I'm not going to say they can't have a strong marriage after making that promise to each other. But I would say that I have strong concern over a vow that says... As long as we're good, we're good. Right? The moment trouble comes or the moment this isn't working, then we can, we can like say, all right, that was a good run. And we can walk away and say, you know, we tried. And we had a few good years. And yay. Like, marriage is meant to be something to fight for. And it doesn't always end that way. But that's That's painful. That's painful to say for as long as our love shall last. I, I think it's dangerous. I think it starts you out on a foundation that says, I'm, I'm looking at what I get out of this. And when it's no longer good for me, then I'm kind of out. Paul says, uh, I, I love how he shifts his language. He says, let the peace of Christ rule. This is passive, right? He's like, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell. And then he says, when these things are happening, now do this. Wives submit, husbands love. When the peace is ruling, do these things. That's where you get active. 
So today we assume equal value, right? Can we just declare that? Men and women, husbands and wives are equal in standing, right? Yes? Good? Good. Easy. Often today what has happened, not every time, and I don't want this to be shame on husbands or on wives or either way. Often in today's world, husbands have become passive. Husbands have become absent. Husbands, uh, in a lot of households, when they're home, kind of sit disengaged. And they, they're somewhere else. Um, I've heard it described where husbands have this nothing box. Right? Where uh, the, the brain of a woman is like all connected and they, she can think in a million different directions at once and it's always going on. Husbands, like men are like more compartmentalized. Like, so what are you doing? Nothing. Really means nothing. What are you thinking about? Nothing. Really means nothing. Okay? There's, a, there's something good about that to be able to unplug. But if you're living your life unplugged, men, that's not okay. Husbands, if you're living unplugged, not okay. And what that will do is it will cause your wife to step up and lead for two in your absence. And then things get all wacky. You are important, husbands. You are needed, husbands. You are irreplaceable, husbands. Your wife needs you, husbands. Engage. God's intent for marriage was that this would be a covenant. Not a contract. God's intent for marriage was that this would, we would enter into this saying, what can I give, not just what can I get, right? What can I, what can I give? I get to be a husband. I get to do for you. I get to serve. I get, I get to do these things, not just what we commonly think of is what do I get? So marriage is 100-100, not 50-50, right? Not like if you do your part, I'll do my part. We'll meet in the middle and we'll be happy as long as we're happy. And then when we're not, we're not. I'm going to do my part. And when both people enter it into saying, I'm going to do my part, that's a beautiful thing. Marriage is not built on emotions or passion or getting my needs met, but promises and faithfulness and giving to meet the needs of the other. And when you do that, passion comes and emotion comes not always they're fleeting things right but they're in the mix when you're doing what you need to do and so wives submit not because you have to but it's because you can give that you can that is something meaningful that you can give and it honors and it respects and it builds into the marriage husbands love because you don't you're not allowed to just go doing life however you want. You're responsible to your wife and she needs you to love her, to lay down your life for her and to give her and to serve her. Jesus, Jesus is an example of both submission and love. Right? This is not a man and a woman issue. Like, women aren't just called to submit and men aren't just called to love. Right? Jesus exampled submission. He submitted to the Father. He submitted to death on the cross. Like he, Jesus lived a life of holy submission. And he models that for us. He also lived a life of love. 
And we're called into that. So submission and love are meant to be something for everybody who follows Christ. Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another. Right? That's not, that's not one sex or gender or the other. That's all of us. We submit to one another. It also says, Jesus says, I want you to love one another. And he's not just speaking to the men to say, okay, wives aren't commanded to love or women aren't commanded to love. Like, that's it. We're all called to love and we're all called to submit. But there is something here where Paul says, I want to speak very specifically. Yeah, we're all called to do this. We're all called to it. But wives, there's something here in submission that we can talk about. And husbands, there's something here specifically about you loving that's really, really powerful. John 3.16 says, for God so loved. And you know how that ended up for Jesus? Like he laid down his life. Ephesians 5.25 has this kind of mirror um, mirror passage to what we're in right now in Colossians 3.18 and 19. And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So for husbands, for us to love our wives means we lay down our life. This is not easy. This is, uh, this is intended to be the more intense, the harder of the two. Husbands, love your wives. Serve her. This is not about you being high and mighty. This is not about you ruling. This is about getting low, love and get down, what will give her life? What can you do to breathe life into her? How can you, husbands, help her grow? Are you a breath of fresh air in her world? Or do you suck the life out of her? That's a hard question. Husbands, we are to be breath flowing in. We are to uh, raise them up. If, I love the if passage in Ephesians that says, he loved the church and gave himself up to present her as a radiant bride. Husbands, we love our wives in a way that makes her radiant. Not because like that's our power and she's nothing without us, but like how can, how can we help? How can we love? How can we serve? And does she shine because of the way that we love her? Do not be harsh, Paul says. Don't just bark out stuff and expect that she will follow. Do not be embittered. Husbands are commanded to love and to keep on loving and to keep on giving. And it's not because she deserves it. It's not because she earns it. It's not because she performs so well, then therefore you love. It's Jesus like, said, oh, we love why? Because he first loved us. That's not because we were good enough. That's not because we were worth it. He bestowed worth on us. He, like, he loved us. He saw us as worthy. And he delighted in us, not because of performance. Husbands love. Even when she's unlovely. There are times, right? There are times. Can we say that? Wives get prickly. It's hard to love. Good. This is not meant to be easy. This is not meant to just be fun and make me happy. This is meant to make me holy. This is meant to sharpen me. 
And so husbands, love always when you feel like it and when it's easy and when it's hard. Husbands, love. If you've read, I, I love the simplicity of the book, The Five Love Languages by Jer, uh, Gary Chapman. And in it, he says, we aren't wired to love, to give love the way we want to receive love. And so sometimes we miss because the way that we give love is not the way that they naturally receive love. And so it's actually helpful for us as husbands to go to our wives and to, and to think about it and say, how does she want to be loved? How does she, how would she receive love? Not just what I want and what, I'm going to love her the way I, I'm going to model for her what it would look like for her to love me really well. Right? But what, what will give her life? You might ask her. You might ask her. The five love languages is like quality time, just being able to spend time together and look at, look each other in the eyes, not at some screen, but like be present together. There's words of affirmation where you speak praise to say, I love when you do this. And it's not just like when you do this for me, um, but like I love and I want to praise you for this, for who you are and for what you do. And I want to I be liberal. I want to be open with giving you words of affirmation. Quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, doting, you know, bringing home a gift. I was just thinking about you and thought, hey, here's something. Um, acts of service, and then I'm forgetting the other one. Anybody help me out? Touch. Touch. Husbands, would you touch your wives in ways that they want to be touched? Okay? Like, marriages should be full of touch. It's really sad. Like, my grandparents grew up in a day when husbands and wives set, like slept in separate beds. And that was just a cultural norm. That's weird to me. But, like, husbands and wives should touch each other. But if, if you touch her and she kind of, like, like, something's wrong, if she kind of jerks when you touch, that means it's not safe for her. Or something about the way you're touching her isn't, isn't loving to her. It's not, re- it's not being received. And so don't be offended. Like, seek to touch her well. It's awkward, right, to say? But can we, we can work on that. Husbands love. Loving means, loving means giving and cherishing and holding and protecting. Look for ways to love her. Your wife needs to know that you see her. Your wife needs to know that when you look her in the eyes, you see her. My parents had a plaque that was given to them by a friend that said, the greatest gift a, hus- or the greatest gift a father can give his children is loving his wife. And I, I believe it. I grew up in a home where my father loved my mother. And that is... have so much of a foundation watching them in marriage because of how they live. And I'm so, so grateful for that. And I recognize not everybody has that. Few people have that. Husbands, love your wives. Do your kids see that you adore your wife? Men, if we love our wives, we will see them thrive. We will see them thrive. 
And then Paul says a word for the wives too, right? Paul says this swear word. He says, wives, submit. Paul's been called a chauvinist for these words. Paul's been uh, called demeaning and disregarding and devaluing, belittling women by saying, how, how would you dare say wives submit? And he does. And he doesn't back down from it. But, again, backing up, the wife is not second to her husband, right? They are in this together. So the word, the word helper in Genesis 2, the word helper in Genesis 2 is used of the Holy Spirit. The same word is used of God himself. This is not a lower, uh, a lower life or a second tier in the relationship. This is the woman is on the same level in the same way that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all on the same level together. And the Spirit is called the helper the advocate, the one who would come alongside and give us where uh, we're not meant to be alone. And so we work together. It's not a derogatory term. Submission is not obedience. Paul, Paul says, wives submit, children obey, right? Up until that time, it would have been wives, children, slaves, obey. And he uses a different word. He's saying, no, 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 no. Wives, submit. This is a voluntary action. This is something that you give. This is not something that you are compelled into. This is not something that you are forced into. Wives, submit. I want to read this quote because I find it really, really rich. The instructions to wife and husband focus on how they're to live together responsibly, not on how they can get their needs fulfilled. In our context, submission might connote spineless acquiescence, cringing abasement, demeaning servility, and passive resignation. All things that take away your humanity. But Paul does not consign wives to servile bondage to their husbands or expect them to become doormats and compulsive pleasers, though this is how he's been misinterpreted for centuries. Submission is not submersion. Submission is not losing our personalities in another's. Selflessness can be carried too far and can become detrimental. Submission can only be done with a healthy sense of self. Wives, do you hear that? If you are constantly feeling pushed down like you are a doormat, I would not stand up here and say, what you need to do is submit to that. If he's making less of you, You don't submit to that. But God says to submit is powerful. 
to submit when you are in a healthy place. And this is not about your identity and this is not about your value and this is not about your worth. When you can say, I'm healthy and I'm valuable and I'm equal and I will give him this. That's powerful. That is powerful. Submission doesn't mean weakness. And it doesn't mean that you couldn't lead or don't lead sometimes. You may actually, wives, you may actually be the stronger leader in your relationship naturally, right? Sometimes husbands are just awkward, and husbands try and lead, and you're like, that didn't go well. (laughs) You could just say it. And that doesn't mean, all right, step back and let the wife, who's more naturally a leader, just do everything, and you can go sit in your chair, okay? Husbands need to be given a place to lead, and to, uh, to love their families, to do what's best for their families. Ladies, wives, even if you see yourself as the stronger leader, that's, that's even more of a gift. That's even more powerful when you would say, what do you think? And then listen, not just, nope, no, 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 no. What do you think? Ah, thanks for speaking, but wrong, Okay. Submission can look like letting yourself be loved. He can be real awkward at loving you. He will fail you in loving you, in laying down his life. And to continue to say, I want to let you love me. I want to drop my guard, and I want to be vulnerable to you. And I want to honor your sacrifices. Husbands sacrifice for their families when they're doing it right. And it's powerful for a wife to say, I I know what you do, and I'm thankful for it. Even if it's not touchy-feely or it's like lovey-dovey, sacrificial love is meaningful. And wives, you have the power to breathe into your husband by saying, I honor, I respect your sacrifice. Submitting means listening that you value his opinion, that you would seek out his opinion and, and just ask the question, what is your opinion, and then listen to it. This doesn't mean that your opinion doesn't matter, and this doesn't mean that his opinion always trumps yours. He's supposed to lay down his life for the good of you and the family. That means often what he wants isn't going to make it because he's continually giving But it's important for a wife to go to her husband and say, what do you think? Wives, speak highly of your husbands. Speak highly in community. Speak highly to him. Look, in the same way that husbands, we say, like words of affirmation, that you can speak life into your wife. That's true of wives to husbands. Look for ways to speak highly. Make a list of all the things that you love about him and speak that to him. Speak that about him. It's pretty, it's pretty cool when somebody else will say, hey, your wife was just telling me how cool you are. Like, really? Yes, I am. <laughs> but like third-party compliments that people would get her, like you hear from somebody else that they've been gossiping about you in all the right ways, bragging about you. Wives, you can give that to your husbands. And 
there is space for you to say, I want you to lead. Not in a demeaning way, not why don't you lead, but to say, how can I help you? How can I support you? How can I, how can I give you what you need so that you can lead well? The listen and pay attention and make it easy for him to lead. That doesn't mean, again, you won't fight. That doesn't mean you don't have differing opinions. But you have the power to say, I'll follow you. I will give you that. Because we want the peace of Christ to rule in our homes. We want the peace of Christ to rule in our homes and our relationship. And we lean in. Now there's something called the crazy cycle. Where he doesn't give because she doesn't give. And she doesn't give because he doesn't give. And so like, why would I love her this way? Because she doesn't submit to me. Like, okay, that's an ugly statement right away. Why would I submit to him when he doesn't love me? When he's like, and it's crazy. And you just dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. The challenge is to be the one to change the ship. Be the one to start the change in the culture that says, he, I don't feel him loving me. And yet I'm going to give. I don't feel her giving this to me. I'm, I'm going to step up and lead. I'm going to step up and love the way God calls me to love. Not because they deserve it, but because that's what I'm called to do. And we break that crazy cycle. If you want your marriage to flourish, you work real hard on loving your spouse. You work real hard on on giving them, honoring them, looking to them, and seeing them first, and not just thinking about what you can get out of it. Now, as we as we close up, we need to take a minute and just to have a word about abuse. Whatever uh, studies you may look at, maybe as many as one in three women. Um, have been or are in an abusive relationship. And it happens to men too. Women aren't the only ones abused. Men get abused too. Um, but, f- but far more often, women are the recipients of abuse, of uh, a devaluing, demeaning, disparaging relationship. Submission doesn't mean shrinking. Submission doesn't mean being okay, being abused. If if fear or violence or manipulation are normal in your relationship, you need to call those things into the light. And it's not just its not just like you have a responsibility. I want you to hear you have freedom. You are free to call things into the light. You don't just have to go along because the Bible says submit. That's not what it means. 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If you are being abused, you need freedom. And the abuser needs healing. That might, that probably requires tough love and boundaries. But healing, and so the best thing that you can do for you and for them is to call the thing into the light to say, this is not okay. And I, I will not let this happen to me or our kids in our house. And you, you find some separation. 
you find some distance. That doesn't mean you go out and file for divorce immediately. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. This can't continue. And if healing happens, that's beautiful. If it doesn't, you need freedom and you need safety. Okay? God is creating a new community. It starts at home. It starts in our marriages. We want the peace of Christ to rule. Christ, uh, as we go into communion, Christ, Jesus gave us a beautiful picture of both submission and of love. That he took submission all the way to the end. I'm going to submit to this. And not because he had to, because it was something he could give. And he loved, he loved, he loved, he loved, and he never stopped loving. That we would look to him and say, I'm so thankful for the way that you lived, for what you modeled to us, and what we received in that. That you didn't look at our relationship as something that you would get, but something that you could give. We take communion and you recognize what we have in Jesus. And you recognize how he breathes life into us and what we are empowered to do in this most intimate relationship that he's given us in this life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I pray that you would help us Help us to love you more deeply. To be loved by you. When we recognize who you are and how you delight in us, how you came for us, that should change us. Help us to really see it, to grab onto it. Would you work your way through our homes? Would you work your way through our marriages? Would you breathe life where right now it seems like there's only death? Would you breathe healing into places of brokenness? Would you help us flourish where maybe right now we're floundering? Jesus, we love you and we're thankful for you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.